This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone. Thanks for listening. Recently, we announced that Governor Whitmer commissioned a food security council of which I serve as chair. The charge given to this public body is both significant and timely. As Governor Whitmer writes in creating the Food Security Council, despite the tireless work of numerous individuals and groups, many Michigan residents continue to live without reliable daily access to an adequate amount of affordable, nutritious food. This is significant for at least two reasons. Governor Whitmer in April of this year established the Coronavirus Task Force on Racial Disparities led by Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist. Their core mission is to remove barriers to accessing mental and physical health care along with developing an action plan to improve systems for supporting long-term physical and mental health care following this pandemic. And since December of 2019, the governor had established three very important task force to address food and health care disparities. This racial disparities task force in regard to health care will go a long way in providing physical and mental health. But prior to COVID's invasion of our land, the governor established a commission focused on lifting Michiganders out of poverty. And in doing so, she said, no parent should have to choose between paying rent and putting food on the table for their families. High praise for this action was lauded by both sides of the aisle, as many are coming to the same conclusion we've been discussing on this show for more than three years. Food security is a nonpartisan challenge, and no one needs to go hungry in the state with the second most diverse agricultural crops in the U.S. Do you see the thread running through these actions? Health care, racial disparity, more access to poverty than food is what is evident. It is true that what's harder to see outside the pandemic is more easily seen inside the pandemic. Racial disparities lived out and the lack of access to high quality health care mirrors that of food insecurity. And honestly, is life expectancy and quality supposed to be determined by our zip code? So fixing the problem and not the blame is one of the values here on this show. And to that end, we suggest that access to healthy, nutritious food is the first step away from racial health disparities that anchor people in poverty. And food security is the first step towards self-sufficiency. Today, to help us understand the power of food in people's lives is Dr. Robert Bouvier, a medical doctor practicing in the greater Flint and Grand Blanc area of our state, and he puts the priority of access to healthy food at the forefront of his practice. I know because he's my personal physician, he is more than a strong proponent of the food first dogma. Join Doc B and Jerry Brisson and me right here next on Food First Michigan.
Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for listening. As promised, Jerry Brisson is back on the Zoom call and in the studio. Kind of yes, but kind of not. Jerry, great to see you. Well, this is our studio now, right? We've got the headsets and we've got the the technology to make it sound good, and so uh, it's the studio. Yeah, it's up now. It's just content. So thank God we have Dr. Robert Bouvier with us today. Doc, welcome back to Food First Michigan. Thank you very much. Food first. Food first. So, hey, let's jump right in. You have a practice uh, up in and around the Flint, Grand Blanc area. You serve a lot of folks. And one of the themes we've been concentrating on here on the show has been about really disparities and health disparities, racial disparities, things that are um, in short supply for some folks. And it seems as though that some of the health disparities gets played out with food insecurity right off the bat. And I, I know that Food First is a is a concept you've embraced, you've adopted. It's part of your uh, uh, philosophy about how you treat people. So talk to us a little bit about that. Well, Food First, when, when you first, and that was actually your brainchild or one of your organization's brainchild, Food First. And when I first heard that, it was like, that's perfect for our organization. Because in every disease state, that people die from, stroke, heart attack, some cancers, the number one treatment and the number one treatment that not only treat it, but can also reverse the process is food. So if we concentrate on food first as our battle cry for treating these disease states, hypertension, cholesterol, and diabetes, those are the only three things that cause stroke and heart attack. So basically it's food first. And when I talk to people about food disparity, I say it's the difference between two things. Number one, living 30 to 40 years longer because you've delayed the onset of stroke and heart attack by giving in control blood pressure, cholesterol, and diabetes. It's a well-known fact that all of us that make it past 50, 90% of us, actually 90% of us, will probably die from a stroke and heart attack. And there's only three things that cause that, hypertension, cholesterol, and blood sugar issues. When those, when those three issues start when you're 50 and 60, then your life expectancy is not too far down. But if it starts at 90 or 100, that's what we try to do. And food first and treatment with food will do that. Well, and I know that you've had very good results actually moving people along that path. And I know that one of the things when we talk about distributing healthy food in the community, um, it's people are afraid people won't eat it, right? They won't change their habits. They won't, you know, actually take advantage of healthy food. But you've actually had a pretty good track record of seeing people change their habits and get some amazing success as a result. Absolutely. I mean, we've, you know, we... In our marquee out front, our sign out front, it says reverse your diabetes. Now, what that means is the numbers, the A1C and the sugar itself becomes normal through food first. And what's kind of interesting, what we found is that it's not so much what you eat, but it's how you eat that will get your weight down. But to live longer and stay out of the hospital and emergency department, it is about what you eat. So it's food first, and uh, you can treat all the cholesterol, diabetes, and hypertension issues with that and get it all under control. You know, a few years ago, Jerry, you'll remember this. Um, 
we received a grant from the Michigan Health Endowment Fund, and it was really about how do we um, adjust our distribution models across the state to be able to distribute more fresh produce. And I have to say that um, of the of the millions of pounds, and and prior to COVID. I think our record was somewhere around 205, 207 million pounds of food. Now, during COVID, I think we're going to leave that in the dust, right? Right, but, right. But, a, but about almost 50% of that food was fresh produce. And so I think it's so important for people to realize that food banks are not just distributing uh, shelf-stable items, even as important as they are, but we've made the adjustment for fresh produce, and then now with fluid milk. So uh, I, I think it's not just food first, but it's also fresh food first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Absolutely, question. I'd like to comment. On, I'd like to comment on that. Um, one, there's this process going throughout the United States, which you guys have embraced at the food banks, and it's the farm to table process. And I have to tell you guys how impressed I am with the food bank about their ability to distribute, distribute food in a very expeditious manner. I mean, I'm, and how you guys picked up on distributing to another 20% of people during COVID was absolutely an amazing distribution feat. I really have to hand it to you guys for doing that. Well, you know what? Um, there's so many people that have contributed to what enabled that, and and the list is so long. I'm just going to say we're grateful to our community. Um, we're grateful to our partners. We're grateful to our funders and all the people that made it possible for us to respond to the COVID pandemic with, you know, literally tens of millions of pounds of food. Um, and it's, it's uh, you know, food banks everywhere in the state serving every county. Um, but I do want to get back a little bit. I know, and I, and I'm, I'm, I just got to... Uh, revisit um, something that we talked about before, which was the actual financial uh, consequences, if you will, of actually following this food first in your medical practice. I mean, it was astounding to me the financial results you were able to get. Just in the cost of insulin, Doc, I think is what uh, I recall us talking about we did a we, we did a hundred patient challenge, and this was over about a five year time period. And the reason I say five years because when when you're working with people and they're diabetic and hypertensive, they have cholesterol problems, and you know they may have thirty to one hundred and fifty pounds to lose. It's really a two to five year process hmm. to actually make meaningful change in somebody's life. And so during this five year hundred patient challenge, we were able to take people that were most of them were on high doses of insulin, and we were, uh, on the average, we were able to reduce their cost of medication, and the majority of it was insulin, the cost of medication from $3,000 on the average, uh, approximately, it was like a little, just a shy above that, to just a little over $300. So, uh, I mean, a 10 times reduction in the cost of just the medication let alone their their ability to get everything else under control when, when you have that large amount of weight loss. The average yeah. weight loss, by the way, on those people was over 35 pounds. Nice. And and that 3,000 to 300, was that over a month? That was, that was actually over, it was a five-year process. 
Now, no, I understand that, but the savings, did that represent a monthly savings? Oh, yes, or per a, month. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's monthly savings on medication. So you, you extrapolate that to, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, from a from 100 patients to 10,000 patients to 100,000 patients in a community like Detroit, and the, 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 um, the money becomes billions of dollars just for Michigan alone. $2,700, if you put it back into food security, would provide 8,181 meals. I mean, it's just crazy. Well, let's pick that theme up on the other side of this break. Thanks, gentlemen. That's Dr. Robert Bouvier. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're all three back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're back with Jerry Brisson and Dr. Robert Bouvier. Doc, um, Jerry, on the other side of this break here, um, we were talking about financial numbers. Uh, from uh, savings uh, just around insulin that cost uh, on average $3,000 a month that Doc in his practice with his focus group has been able to reduce that down significantly. But the question was raised, and I want to raise it to you two, is, um, you know, show me the money. Where's the money at? I mean, if we're say, who's saving this money, and what is it, what is happening with it, and what good could it do in the community? Jerry, you talked a little bit about that about over eight thousand meals that savings could provide. So let's let's track that a little bit, gentlemen. Well, putting context on that, you know, we know that there's a lot of people who 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 enter the healthcare system who are food insecure. And one of the things that we want to figure out is how does it if if we if those patients are food secure, how does it help healthcare actually perform better, right? Medicines work better if people have the food they need to take with those medications. That's just one example. But when you start asking the question, well, why should healthcare really invest in food security? This level of savings is just one piece of the savings that is generated when people who are food insecure become food secure and have health concerns. So, and I know Dr. Bouvier, we talked about hospital admissions and other things as well. And I think, you know, that there, there's just so many opportunities to reinvest those dollars in better ways. Absolutely. So it's really a question of economics, right? And I know you don't like that word. In fact, it probably should be a four-letter word somewhere. But it's if you define economics as a the best utilization of scarce resource, then you have to bring things down to a common denominator. And so to make things like this happen, you have to have the, where the money goes, but also who's taking responsibility, authority, and leadership on those on, on, on that on that money and, and how does it happen? So the common denominator here is the patient doctor relationship, and through that you can you can get these health challenges. And when that patient doctor relationship gets tight, you can layer on the food bank, the local food bank, and you've got three thousand plus of them across. Michigan and every county, so every doctor can partner with a food bank. So now you've got this patient, doctor, and food bank partnership 
in every doctor's office. And when I used that study of 100 patients over a five-year time period, and we were able to save that money, every doctor, every primary care doctor in Michigan has that same core group of people. It's so, such a common problem. So you can take those numbers and create those relationships between those three groups and get a very, very uh, good push. So who else shares in that in that windfall? Well, the insurance company is going to want to take some of that money, but that should also be shared with the food bank, the patient, and the doctor. So part of the economic question is how do you layer the incentives? And that's something that we need to sit down and talk about, really, really work through that economic and then who, how do we rearrange these incentives to keep people and insurance companies and the doctors accountable? You know, I want to make one other point on this, too, because, um, again, one of the challenges of people who are low income and need food help is it's hard to manage all of the aspects of your life. When you layer into that challenge a health challenge and you add the time and money that it takes to manage that challenge, not only is it costly from a economic standpoint but from a human capital standpoint it's costly mm. as well because oh, having absolutely. to manage all of that takes so much more time and that means you don't have time to do other things to to help yourself and to make your life better you know we've we, we've lately and i say lately over the last year and a half or so the insurance companies the health insurance companies have really done something great where they have these Nurse practitioners, uh, or sometimes just nurses, or sometimes they're MSWs, you know, social workers. But they're, they they know the ins and outs, and they have some 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 heat, you know, some some push with the insurance company, and we can get them on the phone. And many times when we with, with that partnership between the, the the patient and the doctor, and we're talking with that insurance company, we bring in the mental health, the physical health. We get things paid for and get the resources really reallocated. This problem is so great sometimes when we can bring in that, that case manager from the insurance company standpoint, it really does help this economic process. And we can save, I have to say that partnering with the insurance company through the nurse case managers has been a windfall, win-win for all of us. And I think we need to kind of look at that uh, process and adding that to the patient doctor food bank relationship well you guys are talking about some pretty exciting concepts there and you know jerry you've been working in with healthcare for a number of years a lot of the folks in that other food banks that are part of the food bank council of michigan are coming alongside and and started those that kind of work too where do you see this going is what doc's talking about there is this really possible I think it's going to go in a lot of directions. I mean, one of the things is, you know, the the if if continuing to look at the patient populations that benefit most when food security is solved is going to be one of the strategies that gets this moving forward, right? So when the savings is clear and the the everyone can share in the incentives, as Dr. Bouvier just said, it's going to motivate health systems. And 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 when that happens, it'll motivate patients because truthfully, patients are going to go places where they feel the most care. And so there's a there's there's a relationship aspect that I think Dr. Bouvier really articulated well that's so important between the providers and the patient. But aside from that, aside from the research and the 
and the economic proofs. I also think there is such a genuine interest on the part of healthcare, just from a human perspective. You see farms and and mm-hmm. gardens growing up all over the place with and 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 pantries in healthcare settings and farm stands in healthcare settings. You you see this happening, and I think that groundswell of interest is going to continue even outside of these other proofs and sort of bigger systemic issues. And so I think as we move this forward, we're just going to see this burgeoning interest and actual results, you know, merging together into a systematic improvement, but it's going to take some time. You know, there's advocacy work that has to be done. We've got to work with the health plans. We got to work with the government and, and other people that decide what gets paid for. And we know that food is medicine, but how do you make that a billable reality? That's all part of the work that we have to do to really get this moving. But I, I think it's, it's likely, even if it's still some time away. We got to get away, pay a few bills. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Robert Bouvier, Dr. Phil Knight here. We're back. You come back and be with us. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back here on Food First Michigan. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Robert Bouvier is with us today. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. And Doc, um, Jerry just hit on a really key point there, and it's really about the relationship. So pick that up. Absolutely. And it's key. Communication and relationships are incredibly important in that patient-doctor relationship. And you layer on the food bank. That's a really good team, and it's already working. I mean, locally here in the Flint area, uh, we can take the money that they're getting from, from from the government, and we can get two for two hundred dollars that they're getting to can turn into four hundred dollars at, at the local uh, at, at the local uh, um, farm, uh, you know, farm farm garden group. But that relationship, when you insert the other providers like the insurance company, and you then make decisions and. The nurse practitioner, the case manager at the insurance company can make those things happen right now today. So we're really out of the research side of things. We're actually now we got to go into the educational part of things and educate doctors, providers, insurance companies, patients themselves and take advantage of those things that are in place already. We've it's, it's past research. It's, it's happening. Now we got to get the word out. Well, part of the. Um work of the Food Security Council that's been appointed by Governor Whitmer um, is to do just that. Um, one of the, uh, the members of the council is uh, the senior uh, chief medical officer for Saginaw County. And uh, this is a conversation that's come up from the medical, from the providers, uh, uh, you know, right from the get-go of this, as soon as we started the Food Security Council conversation, that there's training that has to happen, and that training has to have the opportunity to take root. And Jerry, I remember when you started in this work, uh, there were there were providers, mainly nurses, who didn't really want to screen for food insecurity because they didn't have an answer for it. Right. I mean, one of the worst thing you can do to a helper is make them aware of a problem and then helpless to do anything about it, 
right? It's mm -hmm. it's just a horrible feeling, right? And so for years yeah. there was a resistance to screening for food insecurity just for that reason. People felt terrible. Say, hey, do you do you run out of food? Yeah, in fact, I don't have any food now. Okay, well that's good information. What a terrible <laughs> position to be in, right? I mean, so so certainly thinking about how do you align those conversations with available resources is the only way you're going to get people to want to participate in that conversation. But it's an important thing, and I think that, that the educational piece that Dr. Bouvier mentioned is absolutely essential to continue to grow this. What we, what we believe is this. The bigger the population that's participating, the more proof we're going to have that it works. And so until we get a critical mass of people doing this, it's hard to prove. But it's going to be so obvious once you get enough people in. Um, I think it'll, it'll, the weight of it will, will carry it. One of the educational processes that has really worked well at our medical office is the paradigm shift of trying to fix problems hmm. to taking the existing areas of somebody's life that's already working for them and then build on that. It, it may sound funny, but I fix very, very few problems. We don't even focus on it because I know that it's frustrating and I can't, I, I can't fix it. What I do focus on, what we focus on nearly probably 90% of the time is what's working in somebody's life. Let me give you an example. Um, we have a compliance issue with a, with, 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 with a patient here. Uh, just saw her today, and I knew I'm writing this prescription, and I know it's not going to get filled, and I know it's not it's 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 not going to be taken correctly. So I said, you know, let's try something, and this is the follow up from the from the visit. So right there when she was here, I called the pharmacist, and the pharmacist I partnered with the pharmacist, got him on the phone, and said, hey, this here's the prescription. Will you call them and bring them in? And so I also spoke with the mother of, of the patient that was there, and said, what does the patient really enjoy doing? Oh, she enjoys cooking. Every morning she gets up, makes some coffee for us. I said, great. I want you to tape this medication to the, to the coffee container so she remembers to take it. It's something that was working in her life, and we were able to partner with her, and, and now she, she took those medications correctly. It was a problem, but we solved the problem by finding out what's working in her life. It's a simple thing, but that paradigm shift of taking problems and kind of setting them over here and focusing on what's working in somebody's life is how this gets taken care of educationally. You know, I love that because what I said to my doctor about the 400th time, uh, she said, Jerry, you need to lose weight and uh, exercise. I said, well, you might as well tell me to grow wings and fly to work because it has about the same chance of success, right? But it did start a conversation about, well, how do you incorporate different things in your life, just one thing at a time that's not hard to do? And so, you know, I, I, and I'm, I'm doing 30 minutes of exercise a day because I can find time to do it and I can make it work. And, you know, I'm, it's the same for all people, right? That we all, in order to change our life, we have to have people that want to walk with us, people that are going to hold our hand through the process. And, and I'm no different than that. And that's how we want to treat the people that, that need food assistance. We want to walk with them in their life and we want to understand what they're going through and make it as easy as possible to get the help and success that we know they're capable of. You know, we talk about people being worth investing in and it's not just money, it's time. Invest that in what's working in somebody's life. Do I have 30 seconds to give you an example of that? Sure. 
So we, we, we have this, this, this boy in our practice. He was probably 13 at the time. They label him with ADD, a problem child. He's the bottom 20% of, the, of, of his, his class. Just all these mental and physical and other problems going on with him. And he, he wasn't liked at the school. I said, you know what, let's, let's figure this out. So I joined the, the, the meeting at the school on, on Zoom, and I said, let's, let's take this kid and find out what's working in his life. And I said, this kid is a, literally a world-class radio-controlled car racer. I said, why don't you do a, have him do a history lesson on radio-controlled cars and who the presidents were at the time? Um, give a history of, get, get, have him write a paper on radio-controlled cars. And then have him do in, in homeroom, have him do a do a display out on the out on the on the parking lot on how to use rail controlled cars. They reported back to me. I mean, this is like a two week time period. He got an A on, on his report. He got an A on his history. And the whole half of the school, the kids ran to the window watching this race car run around these pylons. This kid became a hero of the school. His mental illness that was supposedly be there, the ADD, his, it went away. He became, within literally a month, he was gone from the bottom 20% to the top 20% because we focused on what was working in his life. And all the other problems that were going on kind of got better as well. So we do the same thing with, with food first. That, that may be the entry into a teachable moment to fix other problems that are going on in people's lives. Well, Doc, that that really is a principle that we adhere to. That's one of the driving forces, not only behind this radio show, but also the work of the seven regional food banks, Feeding America food banks that serve all of Michigan's 83 counties. And that that principle is this. We want to help people where they're at, not where we wish they were. And so what you're doing is really taking that a little further for us to say, we want to find something that's working in that person's life, and we want to build on that. And that's all underscores of a principle that Jerry's taught us for years, and that is people are worthy of investing in. This is not about charity. This is not about people in need. It's about investing in people that are worthy of that investment. And it sounds like, and I know personally, that's exactly how you do your work as a, as a provider, a medical doctor uh, at your practice. And so I'm a benefit of that. Uh, next time you're on the show, I'd really like to cover the topic of uh, how do we clone you and spread you all across Michigan uh, with this philosophy that you have and has enriched so many people's lives. So, Doc, let me give you the last word for this segment, and uh, thanks for being back on the show with us, and thanks for how you're investing your one handful of life. I sure appreciate that, and thank you for allowing me to come on and be part of this process that you guys are going through. So thank you very much for all that you guys do there at the Food Bank. I've been so impressed with all the work you do. Thanks, Doc. We appreciate you being with us. Jerry and I are back in just a moment to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. Jerry, that was Dr. Robert Bouvier, a friend and certainly a guy who believes in food first. 
Well, he's got his hand on the plow. There's no doubt about it. And you know what? When you've got a lot of work to do, it's nice to be with people who are helping you get it done. And Dr. Bouvier is doing a lot. He's learning a lot from his practice. He's, he's taking notes. He's spreading the word. He's educating people. And he is advocating strongly for the benefits of food first from, a, from the perspective of healthcare. But I just want to say knowing him from the perspective of just being a good neighbor. I mean, he's hmm. such a good man, and, uh, you know, you can see it in his passion for really wanting to help people. Yeah, I, it's, it's, and I'm a, I'm a product of that. Um, he's my physician, and um, when we talked about what I do for a living when I first met him and working for the Food Bank Council and really representing you seven uh, Feeding America food banks here in the state, he was all in. I want to know about this. How can we help? And and let me tell you what we believe here. And it was it was really a food first, uh, you know, mindset before before you and I ever came up with the name of the show, Food First. Um, and and it, it it really is. But let me draw you back for just a minute and get your gut reaction to this uh, economic argument or point that Doc Bouvier was making. Jerry, I mean, really d reducing the cost of just one medicine, insulin, from three thousand a month down to three hundred because of uh, the emphasis on access to quality, healthy, nutritious food. Now, I know that won't be the true for everybody, but it's true for some. Well, I mean, the the population. I, so he started by saying all of us are going to be affected at some point in our life, uh, whether it's earlier or later, mm. by those three major um, complicating health issues, right? Right. That are, you know, hypertension, uh, cholesterol, and... Uh, and High uh, blood pressure. Right. So, so the fact is, that's a big population of people. So even though only a portion of them are 35 pounds overweight or more who have serious diabetes issues, which is that, you know, savings came from that... The truth is there are savings to be had from a much larger population, even if they're much smaller, that will go a long way toward paying for a lot of better care. And mm. therein lies the tale, right? You got to start with the easiest, clearest wins because that's what gets people moving along the path. Then once you get those... Well, then the other wins come easier and easier. I mean, the, the hard thing is there's systems in place already that do things a certain way. So to get those systems to change is effort, right? That's a big lift. Yeah. And so, and people are already busy. The, 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 the people who enter healthcare information when you go to a healthcare provider, the, the nurses and the practitioners, and everyone is already busy. So to say, well, we want you to do just one more thing, well, we're in line with another thousand people that just want one more thing, <laughs> right? So, right? So we've got to be aware that, you know, these changes take time, and it's not because people don't want it. It's just because there's systems in place that work a certain way that have have to work a certain way that need to move along with us and it will happen and Dr. Bouvier's practice is one example of a piece of the picture moving along quickly and with energy and getting results that's going to help us move the whole system eventually. Well, I just have to take a moment to say that I applaud you and your effort and I think one of the 
uh, points of your legacy as the CEO and president at Gleaners will be that you were kind of the John the Baptist, if you will. You were the forerunner into this healthcare initiative and and really helped us, uh, our network, and even Feeding America nationally really begin to wrestle with uh, what value do food banks play not only in the community but now in the the health of its residents. Well, and it aligns so much with the food that's available in the food supply chain. There's a lot of healthy food available. It's not free, but connecting that very low-cost healthy food with solving these health problems and realizing savings and then being able to reinvest those savings, that's how the picture comes together to create a massive amount of benefits. So, again, thank you for your kind words. I certainly feel like I'm in this with a lot of smart people. The one thing I can say is I have a big enough mouth to keep talking about it. So, and certainly a radio show where I get to do it too. So thank you, doctor, for all you do. And, and for, for making, you know, for even dreaming up this show to let us keep talking to really smart people to get this work done. Well, it is, you say often that, um, that there's a lot of smart people coming alongside of us. And I'll say that, uh, uh, it takes us some smart folks like you, you food bankers to to uh, to to begin to dream this up and what could be, and then it takes great people like Dot Bouvier to come along too. So it's time for a little food for thought. The concept of food first is rooted in Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of need, and we ignore this theory of motivation at our own peril and that of our community. The hierarchy of need is so basic to understanding ourselves and our needs that at some point, virtually every other theory of social development attaches itself to Maslow. Whether the work is poverty, health care, or disparities created by both, if we take hunger off the table and meet the primary need of food security, our society changes for the positive. And we do this by putting and keeping food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.